Join me in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. This school year, we're going through the Gospel of Luke. Our youth are following along. Um, here, in the back half of this Gospel, as we make our way to Easter, we will not be in every passage. Um, so we leap forward through some of the passages there in chapter 12, which spoke about what we were on last week, the condemnation, the rebuke of the Pharisees. And we come to chapter 12, verse 22. This is God's word. And Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they neither have storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as this, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world will seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is God's word, Jesus' teaching of his disciples. May we know and follow him. So today we're going to speak about anxiety. And several times in this passage, Jesus disciples his disciples, do not be anxious, do not be worried, and fear not. Do not be anxious, do not be worried, and fear not. And so to begin this day, let's have honest assessment of our hearts. Let's be honest with ourselves because the Lord knows the depths of our hearts. How are we anxious this day? Are you carried and burdened with worry this day? Are you fearful in life this day? It was several years ago. Um, it's often our comedy that teaches us, makes observations of life. Mad TV had an old skit by an old comic, Bob Newhart. Some of you do not know this man, but Bob Newhart is very flat in his effect, just very straightforward, but just this flat comedy that is curiously funny. And so on this skit, Bob Newhart plays the counselor, Dr. Switzer. And he informs the client, the young lady who comes in, that his counseling sessions, um, he only charges $5. But it only really, and it's only $5 for the first five minutes, and it's free after the first five minutes. But he said he's never had a patient or a counselee kind of stay beyond five minutes. And she scratched her head, and she proceeds to go tell him that she has a fear 
of being buried alive in a box. Curious phobia. And so he asked several questions back and forth. And she's kind of leaning up on her seat and taking notes, expecting what he is going to say. She asks, well, should I take notes? But he assures her that it's going to be only two words that will solve this phobia. And she's, she's on the edge of her seat because this is going to change her life. And he yells in her face, stop it. And she says, stop it, she questions. He says, yes, stop it. S-T-O-P, new word, I-T. Well, the $5 is going to get a little bit more time in this counseling session, so she continues to share more of her disorders and all of her phobias. And this back and forth comes back to the simple solution. He ends the session and says, stop it, or I'm going to bury you alive in a box. So, what, why begin? It's like, go YouTube it. I mean, it's immortalized. I mean, it's on YouTube. Because all, too, the message we've heard about the words we're about to look at has been stop it. Just stop worrying. Stop being anxious. Stop being fearful. And that's not a helpful message. And so the prosperity of old used to say this, well, just have enough faith and you will get God's blessings. But that prosperity message has been updated for this day and it is change your outlook on life and your look will change. It's the same message just repackaged for a new day. And so this preaching and teaching is nothing more than biblical interpretation baptized with cognitive behavioral therapy. CBT, which was um, really coined more by Dr. David Burns in a book called Feeling Good, says that it's essentially about changing the way you think in order to change the way your mood, your outlook, and productivity are. If you can just change your thinking, your life will change. You know, Derek, that's not even new. You're, You're taking that back to the 80s and 90s. What we knew about that Norman Vincent Peale way back in the day was like power positive thinking. And so this is how we approach it. We have faulty or negative thinking, which then creates negative behaviors or outcomes in our life, which then we have psychological problems. So then we reverse it. So if we want to have peace or relief or healing in our life, let's change the way we think so we can change our behavior responses. Now, the thing about CBT, cognitive behavior therapy, is it's treatment without medicine. And many, maybe even some here, have been blessed by it and how it approaches depression, anxiety, different disorders, substance abuse, marital problems, eating disorders, and such. So there's a common grace even in these social sciences. But what I'm saying is that in the proclamation of God's word, it is insufficient. It does not get to us being image bearers of God. It does not get to the counsel of the heart It does not speak to a soul that has eternal destiny. And so we are called to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. But if it's just behavioral therapy, it's insufficient. We need heart change for life in Christ. The truth of the gospel to bring us salvation. God's spirit to work in our lives to conform us more to Christ. And so we come to this passage in which Jesus says, do not be anxious, do not be worried, fear not. And even before I come to these words, I want to zoom out 
lest I burden you with an incomplete view of the Bible's teaching. Let me use the Apostle Paul as a test case before we come back to Luke's Gospel. This time last year, we were reading Paul's letter to the epistle or to the Philippians. And in chapter 4 comes one of our favorite passages. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's a curious letter because he's saying this will guard your hearts and minds, and yet he himself is being guarded in house arrest as he writes to this dear church in Philippi, the first one he would plant in Europe. Paul is rejoicing in his sufferings and his confidence is in the Lord's presence, the Lord's purposes, and so he counsels, do not be anxious about anything because anxiety drains our trust of the Lord. It drains our joy of the Lord. It shows that we don't trust God in the circumstances of our life. And so anxiety is a negative emotion, often by sin. I'll get to that. Yes and amen, Derek. But then we come to this passage in Corinthians. And in 2 Corinthians 11, he recounts many of his sufferings. Five times I received by the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked a night and a day. And I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardship, though many a sleepless night, and hunger and thirst, often without food, and cold and exposure, apart from other things. There is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. It is the exact same word. Same root family. Word here, the verb and the noun, we're talking about the same word for anxiety. Is Paul sinning by having anxiety for the churches? No. This is a positive expression of loving concern for others that is felt as anxiety on his soul. So your anxiety can sometimes be loving care, the mental energy of caring and loving for others. So which is it? Is it negative emotion or positive expression? And it really depends upon the condition of our heart and the life context that we're in. And so let's not make anxiety so simplistic when the Bible shows otherwise. It is a reality in this fallen world it is the result of sin. Sin against us. Sin just because of the fallenness of this world. Sin that we commit. It's our lack of trust. Are we discontent in God's providence to us? Are we despairing and doubting in God's power? But it's not always the result of our sin. See a veteran come back from the war, a war zone, and there's an anxiety that's with PTSD. That's not sin. That's the, the fallenness of this world. 
Have a major life trauma. Lose a loved one tragically and suddenly. Lose your job and not know how you're going to provide for your family. Be in a, a wreck or have a natural disaster hit you. Anxiety can overwhelm. Be abused and have violence done against you by others in rape or kidnapping, domestic violence in the home, being bullied as a child. Anxiety will wreck your soul. Be neglected. Just abandonment issues, you will have anxiety. Environmental conditions. Get far enough in a latitude and you'll have seasonal affective disorder and you'll just have anxiety and depression during the time of the year. So in this fallen world, we are broken. Spiritually, emotionally, physiologically. Even in view of family lineage, there seems to be different dispositions to anxiety with nature and nurture, personality and experience. So do not hear to some stop it message today. It won't be helpful for you. You'll walk away and you'll cheer it up for a bit and then by Tuesday of this week you'll feel so guilty and defeated. This is the biblical nature of anxiety. It can be a negative emotion because of the sin we commit. We don't have, we're sinning and so we're in a place outside of God's will where we're going to feel anxious. But it's also a negative emotion because sin has been done against us. It's also just because we live in a fallen world. And it sometimes can even just be a positive expression of loving concern for others. But the response to all of our anxiety is to know and trust our God as a loving Father. So are, how are you experiencing anxiety today? And are you able to reflect on your life prayerfully and consider what is the context of my life, what has happened in my life, and why is my, why is my these feelings coming up, and can you get to the heart core of what's causing it? Are we prayerful now? Jesus, would you teach us from your word, by your Holy Spirit, to minister to our hearts? So as we come to Luke 12, he is counseling his disciples against anxiety because of doubt and distrust of God. Anxiety makes life feel chaotic. We don't, it's nothing that's under control. We, we, don't, we don't know what to do. But Jesus brings calm. It's even going to be a logic to his teaching here. He's already taught the crowd about not valuing possessions. The parable of the rich fool preceded this passage, this passage. You can store up wealth, but all of a sudden death can come knocking on your door. And it's not going with you. Who's it going to be left to? So I would question, will having enough money solve all of your anxieties? Yes, Derek, it actually would help because I'm drowning in debt. And if I had more money, I wouldn't have that financial anxiety. But there also comes anxiety in having a lot of wealth and keeping up with the lifestyles of the rich and famous. You know what? Anxiety because you're not going to have as much privacy anymore if you're really wealthy. The demands of others. You're going to have anxiety about stock markets and business ventures and geopolitical stability. You're going to have the fear of the next generation. How will wealth affect your children and your grandchildren? Listen to all the Super Bowl hype this week and Steve Harvey was talking about, it's like, Steve Harvey came from nothing. 
You know, he's like a TV host and personality, and he's like, you now his kids are asking him to build a bowling alley in this, their home. He's like, I don't get this. There's different kind of worries and different kind of anxieties. And so in this parable, he says, one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Money cannot buy your present peace and eternal life with God. One who lays up treasure for himself is not rich toward God. So all of a sudden, Jesus is saying, what and where, who is our treasure? He's taught the crowds, but now see how he turns to his disciples. Verse 22, therefore I tell you, speaking to his disciples, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, about your body, and what you will put on. See, in the previous chapter, he's taught his disciples, pray like this, give us our daily bread. And now he's saying, do not be anxious as you're trying to wrestle through figuring out your daily bread. We are daily dependent upon God, whether we realize it or not, whether we give him a fleeting thought or not in these days. It's in him that we live and move and have our being. And so we pray. Don't be anxious about food and clothing and medicine and school supplies and mortgage and rent. Is that really what you're saying, Jesus? We all have experienced these anxieties, but what is our responses to these anxieties? When you're not sure where the daily bread is going to come from, what is your response? And there are unhealthy responses to anxiety. Just work hard. Hard workaholism. You think workaholism is going to solve it? Your hard work is going to take care. You're going to work so hard, you'll get to finally get to the plateau of having no more worry. Maybe you'll have enough money then, but what will the rest of your life look like that you can now worry about because you've neglected loved ones? All right, well, let's just do gambling. Man, I just don't know where the daily... And you all know that Floridian who won that big Powerball jackpot this past week? 300-some million? Just the, always the chance. The anxieties of life. Substance abuse. We can numb ourselves to the pain by drink or drug. Escapism. This is probably where we mostly land. Numb yourself to the pain of anxiety with just being busy. Just eat it away. Shop it away, exercise it away, hobby it away, binge on TV, keep that porn addiction private. Or religion, we'll try religion as well, and so even Buddhism will teach us, well, if I feel anxious, let me just empty myself of desire and have non-attachment to this world. Hopefully achieve nirvana. See, we have all felt anxiety. We are all feeling anxiety. The question is, where are we looking for relief? So are we looking within? I'm going to try harder, do more, achieve more, make more. And we're going to look outside if I can do this and enjoy this and so forth. Are we looking to God? Jesus commands us, do not be anxious about the daily needs of life. A lack of trust in God brings anxiety to life because a lack of anxiety is to characterize the life of a disciple. 
Do not be anxious about your life. But why? And for someone who did not have much in this world, the Lord Jesus is so calm in His teaching. He gives a a command, and now He's going to give a reason. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Because if all of our thoughts are always just about our body, our clothing, our next meal, what we're going to do and all this, we have missed the kingdom of God. It's not wrong to think about a grocery list. It's not wrong to think about a delicious meal. It's not wrong to go shopping to enjoy a new outfit. This isn't the essence of life. Those things will fade, become out of style, get lost in our closet, be over and done. But what is of eternal importance? Paul disciples the young Timothy. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of this world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And he continues on. And you're like, well, Derek, I don't... Actually, my portfolio looks pretty good. Lord, I've got a lot. But as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so they may take hold of that which is truly life. Once again, Jesus is speaking about where is our treasure? Where is it laid up? And even Paul echoes this out in his teaching to Timothy. Where are we storing up treasure? So we can do all things. In gratitude and contentment, we can do all, eat and drink to the glory of God. Jesus continues his logical, calm teaching. Verse 24, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They neither have storehouse or barn, yet God feeds them. Ravens. Even the ravens. In the Old Testament law, ravens were unclean creatures. In the ancient world, they were the least respected of birds. In American professional football, they were a nasty, no good team. (laughs) Jesus says, look at even them. God cares even for the Ravens. I mean, even this year, they can have an MVP quarterback. They're not an example of idleness, but freedom from anxiety. Look at a bird. They're not worrying about the supply of worms, but they're also not out just waiting for birds to drop into their gullets. They're just flying about, and the Lord provides for them. How much more value are you than the birds? God cares for the birds. How much more does God care for us? This is an example from nature, but this is the story of Scripture. And please, 
when there was nothing, God spoke, even as we read Psalm 33, and as by His Word, He established everything, and it was firm. God spoke, and everything came into being, and there was light and darkness, and was separated, and forms, and, and water, and, and land, and things that fly, and things that crawl. And then, humanity, created in God's image, the crown of this earthly creation, where there was nothing else bearing the image of God except us. We were created to know God and to walk with God. We have reason. We have emotion. We can have relationship with God, unlike anything in this creation. We were given dominion over this creation. What dignity and value is ours in creation? And so the women will begin tomorrow evening, Bible study below us, to begin looking at Genesis 1-11. through And yet we were wise in our own eyes. We went our own ways and sinned against God. And this is the fall, Genesis chapter 3. So how does God care for us and yet judge our sin? How much more value are you than the birds? God so loves us, He created us in His image, we then sin against Him and are now separated from Him. So how can God love us and care, but also judge our sin in righteousness? And according to His eternal decrees for His greatest glory, God sends His beloved Son, the second person of the triune God, to earth. God came to earth in the flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth, living a perfect life, not in royalty, but in poverty, in obscurity. Being able to sympathize with us in all of our weaknesses. This is a life example that we could not follow, but that we all marveled at. And yet, that would not save us merely to just look upon His life. You need to look upon His death. Jesus died a forsaken death a willing, perfect sacrifice and judgment for our sin. This is how God cares for us. And this is how God judges our sin at the same time. The death of His Son, which is glorious. And as He said, and according to Scripture, He raised from the grave on the third day in victory over sin, death, and evil. And this is now how we have peace with God. It's through our Lord Jesus Christ being justified, not by our works, but through faith in Him. So do not ever say that God does not care for us. He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? And if this was not fantastic enough. In Christ, we are forgiven of our sin. We're reconciled to God. His Spirit indwells us. And this is the kingdom come and coming. And even though we have anxiety in this fallen world, these are but light momentary afflictions preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And one day all things will be made new. And those who love Him will dwell with God, the Lord Jesus Christ, on a new earth. No more tears and no more death. No more worries. So is this your hope in the cares of this world? He cares for you more than the birds of the field.
Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If you can't do that, then why are you anxious about the rest? See, it's very logical. He's not ramped up. This, this is just, just very logical because anxiety gets us so chaotic and so out of control. And he's like, you can't add any more time to your life by being anxious. It's useless. Honestly, doctors would probably tell us the more, you, the more you're anxious, the more you shorten your life. Anxiety is trying to control the things we cannot control. And the more that we're anxious about it, the more we're even going to wreck the things that have been given to us. He continues on with another example from nature. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. I mean, even King Solomon wasn't arrayed like one of these. I mean, the grass, which is beautiful and alive in the field today, but tomorrow is thrown into the fire. How much more will he clothe you? Birds and grass and flowers. I mean, King Solomon. I mean, that Floridian, I don't know what that Floridian is going to do. Like, what are you going to do with 300 some million dollars? But King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. And since now Google exceeds us all in knowledge, I did a search. And Google told me that King Solomon's net worth today would be $2 trillion. More than $2 trillion. Take it with him. And yet God clothes the flowers and the grass of the fields of splendor beyond all of his royal wardrobe. How much more will he care for us? He's discipling his disciples and now he comes with a strong rebuke. Oh, you of little faith. Anxiety shows that we believe God is not in control. And according to this word, it's actually evidence of weak faith. But remember, please, let's see the, the revelation of Scripture. It's a negative emotion because of sin we do, which he's speaking to here. It's a negative emotion because sin against us. It's a negative emotion in this fallen world. It can sometimes be a positive expression in love for others. But it's always to be faith unto God as our loving Father. The Lord knows your fears and your doubts. He knows your worries and anxieties. The question is, do you believe that he's still all-loving and all-powerful? Do not seek what you're to eat and what you're to drink. Do not be worried for all the nations of the world. Seek after these things and your Father knows them, that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. One old saint with the Lord now says this, at first sight, these commands to not be anxious may seem to be rather commonplace. They're very familiar. We've heard these before. But the more that we, are pond- the more that we ponder these, the weightier they appear. An abiding reflection on them would save many Christians an immense amount of trouble. But Derek, I have a pro- protest. I've read enough world history. I don't even need to read my history. I can just look around the world. And there is poverty and famine, and Christians are not exempt. And so either Jesus is using hyperbole, or it's actually not true. And he's not worthy to be followed. Because I know that there's many people who love and trust him, given their life to him, and yet they've died of starvation. And yet Jesus' words, like, don't be anxious about food and drink, clothing, 
There are many who've gone without shelter. And this is where we must be careful not to isolate a few verses and lose the totality of his teaching and the unity of the Scripture. Jesus is here telling his disciples, do not be anxious. And yet elsewhere he'll tell his disciples, get ready to suffer. Allow me to come back to the Apostle Paul as a test case. Philippians 4, that very same passage of, do not be anxious. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. See, this, that's victorious Christian living. Let's grab that verse. We're just going to name it and claim it. Well, no. What did Paul claim? Hunger? And need? It doesn't matter the circumstances of life. We can do it all who Christ, who strengthens us. Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or darkness... Distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or danger, or sword? Nothing. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do not be anxious about your food, about your drink, about your clothing. But if you're hungry and thirsty and exposed... That's not going to separate you from God's love. I turn to another. I'd rather just read it than try to even say my own words. This is John Piper. Everything will be given to us that we need in order to do God's will, in order to glorify God most fully, even if it means our death. Jesus isn't promising all the food, all the clothing, all the housing, all the health care, all the protection that we need to be comfortable or even to stay alive. He says that we are going to die in His service. He is promising that those, that we will have every single, that every single one of those things we will have in the exact right measure to do His will and to glorify His name, even if it means perishing from exposure or starvation in the path of obedience. Life is more than food. The body is more than clothing. The kingdom of God is at hand and God has all things in His hand. And so, the response to our anxieties, whether negative emotion or whether a, a positive expression, is to trust our God as our loving Father who has all things. Sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide for yourselves money bags and not grew old with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The question is, where is our treasure? Because where we can find our treasure, there our heart is as well. Because what we value is what we love. 
And if you want to play rewind with some of those who did the book club, we love. We love what we value. We, we, will, we will love what we worship. We worship what we love. And what you love is what you become. You want to be godly? Worship God. You want to be worldly? Love the world. And here is promise to store up treasure in heaven. My question to us, is the aim of our life merely to eliminate all anxiety? Is the aim of our life merely to eliminate all pain and discomfort because it will not happen? You may whack-a-mole and trade some anxiety and kind of conquer this anxiety, but a different anxiety will pop up. God has purpose for everything, and anxiety is not from God, but God even uses anxiety for good and perfect purposes. So my question is, if our aim is just merely to conquer anxiety, our view, our energies are all upon it. What if our aim was to know and trust Jesus And in knowing and trusting Jesus, we learn what it means to be less anxious. It's too easy just to say, stop being worried, just do some behavior therapy. Those things may give us tools just to get our breath. But to have our heart changed and conform to the image of Christ, it has to come through the power of God's Word, through the ministry of His Spirit, with us fixing our eyes on Jesus, the founder and author of our faith. Where are you anxious? Where are you worried? How are you fearful today? Cast your anxieties on Him who cares for us. Look at Him. Learn to trust Him. To love Him. Seek Him and His kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. Let our aim not to be merely to conquer anxiety. Let it to be to know and trust Jesus. And then know, in following Him, the things of this world will go strangely dim. Let's pray.